Hey everybody, welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is Valerie, your host. So glad to be here. Glad to have you all here. We are following up with yet another episode tackling uh, personal reflections and experiences that Nathan and I wanted to sit with you and talk a little bit about regarding the eternal marriage doctrine and theology and how it has impacted our married life. Uh, many of you have uh, been interested in knowing, okay, so Valerie and Brandon talked about the psychology behind it and some of the psychological principles, how it looks with our clients and how it looks as we sort of facilitate these conversations with other people. But now it's time to get a little bit more personal. So today, Nathan, hello, Nathan. Hi. <laughs> he is here. And Nathan and I are going to talk about the two P's, the twin, the toxic twin towers of polygamy and patriarchy. Patriarchy begats, begets, begets polygamy? Begat would be past tense. So what is the patriarchy begets? Begets. Begets currently. polygamy. Yes. Yes. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into how we have been impacted by the concept of patriarchy in our own internalized, how we have internalized this doctrine, how it has played out both individually in our marriage and how we are ex like actually working through this in real time as a married couple, Nathan. Um, yeah. So why don't you start with that? Because here, here, here's my, here, here's my thing about patriarchy. Mm. Patriarchy in my understanding now yeah. is very insidious. Yeah. And I'm going to say this, and then I would love to hear your thoughts on it, but I don't think there were maybe but a dozen times in our entire marriage where priesthood power or some God-given title really crossed my mind. Like, I am this or that because of my god ordained position as as the man do you have any memories of doing that or maybe were they just inside well you know to, to, to be perfectly honest i don't have a lot of memories of it but here here is the thing that you and brandon have pointed out and and, and other things i've read is that much of the way patriarchy manifests itself is very subtle and insidious yep uh, i i to this day still have conversations with you where you have said hey this is a manifestation of patriarchy, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm like, how is that a manifestation of patriarchy? And then you explain, I'm like, oh, I see it now, but I, I wouldn't have come to that conclusion. So I, for me, I, I, I like I said, I, I've never really that I can remember had a lot of conscious moments where I'm like, I am the priesthood holder. Therefore, this is how it's going to be. Like if you, you know, I've had a disagreement about something. I don't, I don't remember ever playing the priesthood card. Now, I would like to hear from you if you yeah. have memories of that, because I, I honestly don't, but I, I really don't. I have never, ever considered you anything but my equal, except in your ability to do math. <laughs> other, totally fair. Other than your ability to do math, I have considered you yeah. at least my equal and in many ways my superior. And so I just don't ever think that it's crossed my mind that I have to play the priesthood card yeah. because I have always looked at you as a huge resource in my life. And in many ways, more clever and more creative than me. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that I have always admired you and looked up to you. And I, 
I don't know. What, has your experience been different? So what I want to do, I want to answer that question, but I feel like you you kind of t- you touched on two topics. So can we Please return do. to that in like five minutes? Absolutely. What I want to actually do is you said a minute ago something about how how insidious patriarchy is and how every once in a while I will point out to you where it shows up and you'll be like, oh, okay. I didn't see that, but now I completely do. Actually, that kind of a conversation just happened less than, I would say, 72 hours ago. Right. We were actually listening together to a great courses thing on Audible about the four of the, at least according to this particular scholar, the four greatest sages of all time, Muhammad, the Buddha, Confucius, and Jesus. And he did them chronologically. And the last one that he talked about was was Muhammad. Muhammad. And you said to me, after we'd listened to this, you said, what is your take on this concept of polygamy in the culture of Muhammad, where the men were, I don't remember the ratio. Yeah. Four to one. Four to one. So you said, tell me what your, what what is your thinking on that? Does that change your opinion? Not that Nathan's pro polygamy or anything, but I think he was basically just saying, what do you make of that? Okay. And I want you to, I'm going to take the hand. Well, yeah. So, so backing up just a little bit, Muhammad grew up in a society where there wasn't a unified government, but they lived in small bands and um, these warring neighboring tribes were just constantly killing each other. They're constantly at war. They're constantly killing each other. And so um, the men outnumbered the women or, or the women outnumbered the men by about four to one by the time Muhammad had come along and, and created peace among a lot of these warring tribes. And so in the Quran, it states, and I haven't read the Quran, I'm going off of what the teacher of the great courses taught me, but in the Quran, it states that men could marry up to four women in order to take care of them. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, I can understand that. So I asked you, I said, I would love to hear from you what your take is on polygamy being practiced in that culture under those, under, exactly, in that context. Um, do you still see that as patriarchal or, or is there another way of looking at it? And you blew my mind with your answer. Oh, which was, well, they wouldn't have gotten themselves into that predicament to begin with if patriarchy hadn't dictated all of the circumstances that created that context if there wasn't this patriarchal grab for power if there weren't the warring tribes if you didn't have this idea that men were the warriors and women were the caregivers that culture should have never been in that situation to begin with and i thought that makes so much sense patriarchy created patriarchy created the circumstances under which muhammad felt like he needed to introduce polygamy to bring all these women in. It says if patriarchy hadn't existed in the first place, you wouldn't have had all the wars and all the warring tribes and all of the mach- machismo power grabbing. And I thought that makes so much sense. Yes. So once again, just a good example, I think of how insidious patriarchy is and how one of its many spawns <laughs> um, is, is polygamy. So let's go ahead and just return back, if I may, to okay. what you said a minute ago, which is this idea that you were talking about how you personally have never grabbed for, you You don't have experience or memory of grabbing for power, at least in our marriage. And I want to validate that that has also not been my experience. And I'm going to say this with a lot of sensitivity because I know from many of you listeners out there who have have written me letters and who whom I enjoy learning from, that this is 
absolutely the exception to the rule for many of you. And that many of you have, in fact, been the the absolute victims of the worst parts mm-hmm. of a patriarchal system, um, including in our church, where your ability to feel like you are an equal is absolutely stifled and it's institutionalized. And while many couples experience what I would call a benevolent patriarchy, it still is patriarchy. Sure. And there are, there are some of you, even Brandon said in the, in a couple of episodes ago that he kind of played that, like, I'm going to ask you to say the prayer because I'm the boy. (laughs) Right. And his wife, you know, God lover was like, excuse me. (laughs) I love that That so much. Great exchange. (laughs) Right. Right. So, so yes, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I will say there are two parts to that. If I were to sort of uh, deconstruct why that is the case. And I've really given this a lot of thought myself, which is that I think We've talked a lot about on this podcast in, in previous episodes that it is my belief, at least, that that maleness and masculinity are not the same and female femaleness and femininity are not the same. And that as we evolve, and this is a very union principle, by the way, <laughs> as we evolve, we cultivate within each of ourselves a beautifully perfect blend of masculinity and femininity, which is it's just right for each and every one of us. And that what has happened um, as we've been socialized is that there has been created an incorrect, misunderstood spectrum that masculinity is male and femininity is female. And that there's something wrong with us if we don't um, stay on our side of the spectrum as it sort of matches our assigned genders. I don't believe that. And I'm I'm grateful to say I don't believe that because as I've processed and pondered my own relationship with patriarchy, it's occurred to me that although I am a a cisgendered woman, I was born with a lot of masculinity. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just am. It's never occurred to me in my own lived experience that I couldn't play with the boys. And I mean, in any sort of position of or experience with Anything that had to do with power, authority, competence, organization, management, it's it, its never crossed my mind that I was not every bit as good as they were. And maybe that's a spiritual gift, or maybe that's just complete arrogance. I don't know which one it is, but it's its my way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, if it's arrogance, it's a beautiful arrogance. It is actually one of, I think, your most attractive qualities is that you really don't fear anything or anyone. Mm, I don't. I wouldn't say I don't fear anything, but as far as my ability to be in connection with my side, my masculine side, because again, I, I don't assign value to masculinity and femininity. They both are beautifully and good, and good. But a lot of times, I think what we experience, um, feminine virtues again, that can be, that, that ought to live in men and women is caregiving, gentleness, softness. All of us um, do well to cultivate that. And masculine energy is more assertive, more powerful. Um, and, and so those, again, too, are good for us to all cultivate. And it's challenging in our culture to, to feel as if we're not allowed to cultivate parts of us. And sometimes they don't live at all in some of us. And so for each of us, uh, and actually, Nathan, I would I would say that one of the things that has been an interesting mix between you and I is that you actually have pretty powerful feminine energy. Yeah, and actually, I, I, I agree with that, but I also was always taught to suppress that. So that was another one of those things I had to work through. Uh, growing up, feeling and expressing emotions was was not 
something that was encouraged. Yep. I'll put it that way in my family. Um, and that was one of the things I had to learn as I got a little bit more mature um, was to get in touch a little bit more with what I was feeling. And, and going back to the previous episode, I, I talked about always living in this anxiety. Well, a lot of the anxiety I was living in was not being allowed to understand what 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 suffering is and what it is to be sad and what it is to feel disappointment and those kinds of things. I wouldn't let myself feel those things. And so you were the one who had to kind of bring that out in me a little bit more and say, yeah, no, I need you to tell me why you're sad or why you're hurting. And I was always like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm the man. I'm the tough one. And, 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 but as part of my evolution, I had to get through that. And, and it helps so much when I could finally say, yeah, I am sad. And this is why I'm sad so much of my, and my anxiety just started to disappear when I could be honest like that. So what you're describing, I vividly um, have lived with you, which is this idea. And I, I think it's interesting as we're framing it this way, that patriarchy hurts men too. Patriarchy yeah. taught you that you were not allowed to be a human feeling man. And mm -hmm. that what you needed to do as a good provider is to shove all of your big frightened emotions down and to not share any of those things with me because you were supposed to protect me from those things. You were supposed to protect me from anything that might make me feel vulnerable right. in the service of your being the bigger, stronger protector. And in so doing, guess what happened? The result of that was a lack of intimacy between you and me. And furthermore, perpetual lifelong anxiety for you because those kinds of emotions don't actually just go away. Right. They get internalized and the body feels them in their, you know, down to the very core of our organs. Like you were experiencing all of that, that you were not giving yourself the permission to release and let go of. And guess why that was the case? Because that's how you were raised that a boy was supposed to behave. Yep. Yep. But as far as the way that I saw my role, I, I really felt it was more a problem with myself. I didn't, I didn't ever feel, and, and again, you, you, you've pointed this out now, and I, I want to be very sensitive to people who do feel this way, but I, I never felt like I could or should dominate you. Um, you couldn't, even if you tried, <laughs> I couldn't, you were, there was you, no chance. You did have a lot of those masculine, um, characteristics of pushing back and kicking back. Um, even if I had had tried that and I, and I admired that I liked that I, I, I wanted that in you. So I, I have no problem with those characteristics of yours. I think they're terrific. Uh, I remember distinctly at BYU saying, Hey, I'm going to play basketball with the boys. And you're like, so am I, I'm like, no, really. And you're like, no, really. And I was like, okay, you know what? You're awesome. <laughs> Get out there and push some boys around. You know, I, I thought that was terrific. But I also want to be very sensitive to especially in any women or children who have been hurt by dominating males who have been taught that and fallen into those roles, perhaps, honestly, I've known them. Yeah, I've known those men. I have seen the damage that they do. Uh, I've, I've been intimately associated with some of them. Um, and I think in some ways they have helped me. Because, right, when, when you see it done wrong, when you are sometimes yourself the victim of that kind of thing, you, you sort of go one of two ways. You either say, oh, this is how it is, 
and you perpetuate it or you learn from it and say, no, I will never do that again. And, and I think I was blessed to have the eyes to see, at least in that, that when patriarchy like that was pushed upon me, that I didn't want to be that way. And, and like we mentioned in the last podcast, I still fell victim to it in a lot of ways, but I at least knew that I didn't want to be that way. I had to do some work to get it out of me. But I, I saw that it was wrong. And so I, I guess that's just a gift that I had that I could get out of that early. So let's just spend a second, Nathan, talking about how systematized patriarchy impacts marriage, meaning that when we are in an institution that endorses patriarchy by giving men a special priesthood power, right? They they formally say, this is who you are as the man. This is your job or your responsibility, your identity. And the woman doesn't have that or somehow shares in it, but she doesn't have it on her own, which is damaging in and of itself. But of course, it's incredibly toxic and damaging for those who are not partnered up with a man to sort of share in their priesthood power. Like, how does this how how can it impact marriages or maybe how has it insidiously maybe impacted our marriage like this idea that you're entering into an institution a system of marriage where it it lopsides the partnership where they're in different places and given different sort of responsibilities or different senses of their own abilities inside of the marriage like it it that that's a big deal and i think it hurts marriages absolutely the first two things that come to my mind is that first of all the woman is not allowed to grow yeah when i have been around highly patriarchal dominant systems like that what i see is an underdeveloped woman a woman who has very little sense of self self-confidence uh, often staying in a marriage that's fairly abusive because she is afraid to be herself, to either stand up for herself or to get out of that situation, but she willingly becomes complicit and underdevelops. Can I, can I add something Please, to that? Yes. So yes, and in what you're describing in a patriarchal system or a patriarchal marriage, there's a one-up, which is the priesthood holder, the one who has all of the, you know, the power as it were, and there's the one down the one who is um, sometimes complicit, who participates in this dynamic, both of them are underdeveloped positions. No, that was my second point. You you are reading my mind. Oh, good. Okay, because, carry on. Because the man, and, and I've seen it very cl up close and personal uh, with, you know, within my own family and also priesthood leaders that have been influential to me, the man stays really underdeveloped because he won't learn. He won't see he won't listen to his wife. He won't learn. He, he thinks I've got it all figured out. You and Brandon kind of talked about this a little bit in your podcast. It's like, oh, you get to the temple, you've got your covenants. Now it's just endured to the end. There's nothing left to actually learn. And the man is extremely underdeveloped himself. Well, and especially if you have a man, and again, the system actually invites this kind of a dynamic by nature of how it is right now in the doctrine. The system invites, I need you to govern even if I'm doing it benevolently and I am from the woman's perspective, I need to be governed. Yeah. And for either party to, to, to recognize that if both parties have to participate in this one up one down dynamic, it's paralyzing the growth of both parties. And I really look at this um, in terms of marriage when it's like, if, if the, if the man in this case needs the woman to stay small for him to feel okay about himself, 
then that is a sick system. Right. And both parties sometimes do collude in this. And sometimes she really takes advantage of, and um, I, I have, I've actually seen this play out too. There's a really dark underbelly to patriarchy. I mean, there's so many dark underbellies. All it is, is a dark underbelly, right? <laughs> but, but in marriage, sometimes women can be pretty hostile to their priesthood holding husband and, and have sort of an entitled sort of way of being that because you're the priesthood holder and I'm over here powerless and I've spent my life staying underdeveloped, you owe me these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's a position in both sides of the relationship that hurts the individuation and the ultimate development of the couple. And so the solution to this, of course, is pushing back against institutionalized patriarchy. It has to be that way because until partnerships recognize that this is preventing and stagnating our growth, the partnership cannot grow and become as intimate and as close um, as and, and as powerful as individuals and as a couple as they have the potential of becoming. Yes, 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 yes. The reason I am smiling. I was going to say you are smiling over there when you were talking about this. Okay, this is so random, but that scene from The Sound of Music jumped into my head. France and Liesel or whatever. Oh, you know, and and France is like, I am sixteen, going on seventeen. Um, you need someone telling you what to do. And she's like, Oh, I'm 15 going on 60. Yeah. Right. She's like, I will depend on you. Yep. You know? And so he's like, I, you need someone telling you what to I do. I will take care of, of you. you. And she's yeah. like, Oh, somebody to depend. I need yeah. somebody to depend on. Thank you. Right. Well, he goes on to become a Nazi. Right. Yeah. Which is exactly what the patriarchy is. It's like these dominant male, uh, I'm going to be, you know, power, power, power. But, but I was just hearing those songs in my that's head funny. as you were describing those two points of view. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what they were depicting. There. That's really true. And what you're doing. Yeah, that's very sad because that little scene in the gazebo is a really beautiful scene. That's absolutely clearly articulating the, the damage that patriarchy can do and the trouble it gets both partners in. And yeah. Wow. The warring systems, patriarchy that, you know, ran the Nazi Holocaust, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Very good. So let's close this conversation we, with our own personal experiences of polygamy. We just thought, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning of our time, but I promised that we would just bring it up a little bit and talk about how have we both made sense of and metabolized the, the eternal doctrine of polygamy in our own marriage. What was your take? I'm actually hearing this for the first time. <laughs> I, I really don't know because we've never actually talked about it. What, what did you make of this idea that you were going to have multiple wives or you potentially could have multiple wives according to the current doctrine of of our church. Yeah. I I've never had an interest in that. That that just makes no sense to me. I, I, I will say this, you know, again, I, I have no idea what the eternities are going to look like. I, I have no interest in that. And here's why, let me tell you why, because the purpose of marriage, as I stated earlier, for quoting James Hollis is for personal growth. And there is nothing that has been more instrumental in my personal growth than my relationship with you. You have taught me so much about life and love and about myself and about our kids and everything that I have evolved into coming out of my anxiety, coming out of my own shadows. And again, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but but this journey that I'm on ha has come because of the things that you have taught me. And that relationship to me is has been the most and the biggest blessing of my life. 
and the love that I feel in in our marriage and, and in the intimacy that I have with you, I, I, I am not sharing that with anybody else. I don't know what the eternities look like, but I, here's what I do know for myself, that there is no possible way that my greatest happiness will look like anything else than to be with the person that put me and helped me through all of my personal trials and all of my personal difficulties and all of those things. A truly loving, intimate relationship is me and you, babe, okay? I don't believe personally that true eternal happiness can be found in a polygamous system. Right. I don't think it can. Amen. Okay. I don't think that when it was modeled here on this earth, either by the patriarchs of the Old Testament, by Joseph Smith and their leaders of this church, or what we've learned from now the Muslim belief system, I don't believe that that demonstrates a proper relationship and treatment of women. Thank you for that. I, that's nice to know. I've never, we've never really actually had that conversation <laughs> offline or otherwise. I, the way I think about polygamy, I've probably made pretty clear, but I'm going to go ahead and just briefly talk about it for a second. I, in my early days, I shelved that whole idea. I was one of the, I'm very sad to say, I was one of the, the people that didn't even know that Joseph participated in polygamy until later on. And when I first heard it, I didn't believe it because I didn't want to believe it. It was too painful to believe it. And that was, of course, anti-Mormon rubbish from the haters. And then, of course, that gave way to the realization that this did happen. And it occurred to me very, very early on, as I've thought about my own life and the doctrine itself, I never believed it. And I think I could just fall on the truism that I feel like I've always sort of stood by, which is you don't have to believe anything that doesn't feel true. Mm, and yeah, and it never felt true to me. So therefore I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about it because I couldn't wrap words around it, but it didn't feel right to me. And then of course, as I um, read and studied and became a little bit more of a scholar around subjects of this nature, it has occurred to me uh, amply that polygamy is just an, an evil spawn of patriarchy and that there is no heaven where the gods that I worship, my heavenly parents and my savior, Jesus Christ would turn one gender into the object or of another gender. That is not a heaven that in any way, shape or form would be manifest in the gods that I choose to worship. And that it is no, no more or no less than uh, the outcome of a worldly system that has been dictated by patriarchy for thousands of years. And we, of course, as a church, are victims of the very same problem, and it still lives today. It's still, I think it would be one thing if we could say, this is part of our history. It's something that we have had to overcome and work through. But the fact that it is a still, it's a still a living doctrine is something that has to be respectfully but vehemently and in no uncertain terms pushed back against. It is wrong. It dehumanizes women and it hurts the men they're connected to. Yeah. And so it's something that we have to be uh, willing and because it, 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 it wounds marriages, it wounds identity, it wounds relationship. Well, and it violates our own doctrine. One, one of my favorite passages of scripture is second Nephi chapter two. And one of the things that second Nephi chapter two very clearly teaches 
is that humans are things to act for themselves and never to be acted upon. And polygamy made women into things to be acted on. They became commodities. I, I thought the uh, discussion that you and Brandon had about polygamy with his own family, his own relative, oh. John D. Lee, and, and he and Brigham Young swapping wives or trading wives for salvation is a perfect example of a violation of Second Nephi chapter 2. No human being is a slave. No human being is an object to be acted on. They are all agents to act for themselves. And that that story coming from John D. Lee's journal is disgusting. Appalling. And, and it's yeah. exactly why the principle of polygamy makes no sense to me. Yes. It turned women into rewards for men. And that has not been my lived experience with you. You are not my reward. You and I have worked together to build this family, to build our relationship, to work together to help each other grow. You are not my reward. I am not your reward. And so, yeah, that that principle is just outlandish in my mind. Yes. Yes. That There is two choices. There can be power over or partnership with. You cannot have both. Mm. And until the theology manifests itself in that way, we are wounded theology. And I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you. All right. We have one more conversation that we're going to have together, Nathan and I, where we're going to talk about how personally we have been impacted by the concepts of fear and shame and how the doctrine has uh, insidiously caused us to live in some variation of fear or shame. We're going to talk about that next time. And then I am so excited to have for your listening enjoyment, several people whom I know personally from my small groups that are going to be coming on, I'm going to be interviewing them about their own lived experiences around these issues um, and the eternal marriage doctrine. I'm going to be talking to couples in faith crisis where one has preceded another and how they have wrestled through that and how they're currently working on it in messy, but beautifully and inspiring ways. I'm going to have on uh, a woman who is a single woman I'm going to have on a woman who is married to a man of another faith. And we're going to talk about how the doctrine of eternal marriage has impacted their marriage. And we're going to really be looking at how this doctrine on the ground looks for people of lots of different demographics, ages, and experiences so that you can see that you, my friends, are not alone. I'm really grateful for each of you. I hope that you will pause and please rate and review this podcast if it's making sense to you, if it's ringing true. Please share this with other people in your circles. Please help the word get uh, moved along. This is how movements for change and growth and evolution and healing happen. One person at a time. So please share this podcast. Please rate it and review it. If you're interested in joining a small community of people that are going to become close and dear friends of yours, join one of my small groups. You can find um, information about that at info at ValerieHammaker.com or on Instagram at Latter-day Struggles Podcast. There you go. I did it without any problems today. <laughs> and also, if you want a uh, private coaching or an individual consult with me, jump into uh, both of those, uh, the email and the website that I just mentioned, or the email and the Instagram account that I just mentioned. And I am just getting really close. We're going to be having a Latter-day Struggles website that we're going to be launching very, very soon. It is almost done. Maybe by the time this drops, it will be done. So you can go ahead and check that out where you can get more information about the groups I run. And you can also get more information about some courses that I'm going to be dropping specific to eternal marriage and working with couples who are trying to navigate the murky waters of faith crisis inside of their marriage. That is the first series of courses that I'm going to be dropping of many. So please go ahead 
and jump into onto the website, check and see if it's um, up and alive quite yet. And if it's not, it will be soon. And last but not least, Latter-day Struggles is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Another show that you might enjoy is actually the Dialogue Podcast itself. I really, really enjoy listening to some of their gospel doctrine conversations. They run their own gospel doctrine class that is amazing. It's beautiful. It has guests on there that tackle Come Follow Me topics in an entirely different way than the way you're probably hearing, hearing them in your ward. So jump onto that and give that a try. And also you can support this podcast and others by subscribing to dialoguejournal.com. And they are wonderful. We need to support them. They are the founding voice of Mormon progressive thought, and we need their voice. We want to support them and keep them around because that is the way that change happens. So please support Dialogue because they're a wonderful organization. I could not be more proud to proclaim from the from the rooftops how wonderful they are and how grateful I am to be a part of that organization. So go ahead and jump on and support them and subscribe to dialoguejournal.com. All right, everybody, good to be with you all, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Dialogue Podcast Network.